when the replay official did not stop I, the game. I'm not going to comment on that. I'll get fined for the rest of my life if I get commented on that. We had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal. Any idiot can say whatever they want, and they usually do, and they're negative. And all I see, to me, I've gotten to a point now when I see things like that, I feel sorry that those people feel that way, that their lives don't have the purpose, the passion, and the excitement and the enjoyment that some of us do. Our purpose is to win, make no mistake about it, but it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sunbelt, uh, sorry, to win the SEC East. Talk about the reception you received from the fan, fan base. Did you ever think you'd be kissing and hugging babies at the tarmac when you got the point? Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> I didn't think of it. It was like, like an anniversary or something like that. We're coming. We're coming. And we ain't backing down. And as my, as the head football coach at South Carolina, my job is to do what I feel is best for the University of South Carolina football program today and going forward in the future. And that's what I did. We wish him well and uh, have nothing but uh, 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 we, we wish him well. Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton, and I'm flying solo for this edition. I got a great guest lined up. We've got Adam McClintock, better known as CFB Professor. He's going to break down some of his 2021 head coach and coordinator grades for the upcoming SEC season. We were able to hit on just about every team in the SEC. So I think you guys are really going to appreciate what Adam McClintock has to share with us. And if you don't follow Adam, he's a must follow on Twitter. A lot of the information he's got, very unique. You're not going to find it anywhere else. And college football programs use his service. He helps programs match up coaches and coordinators and fits and all that. And, you know, part of the deal when he gets hired by one of these institutions, he's not allowed to talk about uh, who's paying him. It's all confidential and all that. But I know for a fact he's helped at least one SEC program pick their current head coach. So I'm really looking forward to having Adam back on the show. This is the second time, I believe, on the show. So we'll get to that here in just a minute but we got a couple news items around the sec and before we get to that man we like to start the show with something light if we can and if you missed it man early running for quote of the year from one of these press conferences i don't know if this guy often talks like this but uh, nfl head coach kyle shanahan you know there's a lot of buzz the nfl draft coming up here on thursday that mac jones is going to be the number three overall pick so what does that mean for Jimmy Garoppolo, their current starter? Coach Kyle Shanahan was asked about it, and man, he delivered uh, an all-timer here. Um, I can't guarantee that anybody in the world will be alive Sunday, so I can't guarantee who will be on our roster on Sunday. Um, so that goes for all of us. Ooh, so how about that? Is, I mean, I can't figure out, is Kyle Shanahan going to kill Jimmy Garoppolo? Is he going to kill all of us? I mean, that's pretty, uh, <laughs> what, <laughs> not even these SEC coaches who refuse to give away any information are that bold to leave a comment such as that. So I just thought that was hilarious. 
And uh, one other thing, I mean, this is uh, more relatable for what uh, is going on here in college football, but interesting little loophole discovered by North Carolina head coach Mac Brown. He moved to a home that's uh, less than a mile away from his office. So let's skip it over here to Mac Brown, who revealed this information during a, a recent media availability. Thank you. And and Ross, the other thing that, that is really significant for um, our recruiting, uh, Sally and I fixed a house up that's 0.98 miles from my office. And that means that uh, unofficial visits can come to our house. Because if it's more than a mile, you can't come to the house from campus. So we do think that'll be a huge help in recruiting. Awesome. Can't wait to check it out someday. Thanks. Quick, somebody go check. Is uh, Saban's house for sale down there in Tuscaloosa? I mean, I got a kid, but uh, if this is the rule and you're allowed to host recruits, so if you didn't catch that there, he's talking about uh, unofficial visits when prospects come to campus. You know, you're not allowed to host them at your your home or, or anything like that. But uh, apparently, according to NCAA rules, if you're less than a mile away from the football facility, you can. So... I would not be stunned if we get a couple SEC coaches find themselves a house within one mile of the football office. Uh, we'll see if this helps North Carolina on the recruiting trail. But, hell, they're already killing it in the ACC. So uh, maybe this is a factor here, but uh, I just thought that was noteworthy. And uh, <laughs> Fort Hill, don't be stunned if a couple of these SEC coaches up and move a little bit closer to campus. And if they do, you'll know exactly why. All right, real quick, just got a couple items here, but uh, let's kick it around the league before we get to our guest, Adam McClintock. Now let's go around the league. My my daughters said something about me wearing a visor and need to put on a hat because I'm getting bald. So uh, so I'm going to wear a hat from here on out. I mean, if you look over the next six years, I think we played Miami three times, Florida State six times, South Florida three times. Mississippi State once. So who's the SEC teams? You know, I mean, I don't think I think it's an injustice for the kids. They should, we should mix those games up, and you should, um, you know, play more teams from the West. Why, why don't you start calling around and see if you can get somebody else to play us, and we'll play them. Right, we'll play anybody you can get to play us. In Louisiana, hold on a second. Hey guys, hey, I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you. All right, got uh, one here. It's kind of a a double whammy here, but apparently reports out there that uh, Kansas, you know, they fired Les Miles after all the uh, allegations there down at Baton Rouge during his time there. But so Kansas still does not have a head coach. And apparently two of the rumored candidates for the job, Dan Lanning, Georgia defensive coordinator, Mike Elko, Texas A&M defensive coordinator in the running for the open Kansas head coaching position. And you can't fault guys like that for, you know, wanting to take that next step up and be the head coach because you get more money. And, you know, these guys, you think the players got egos. These coaches got egos and they want to prove themselves. They, you know, everybody probably assumes they could be the guy that goes in there and fix Kansas football and they're going to do something different. But Dan Lanning, Mike Elko, Two of the better assistant coaches, not only in the SEC, but the entire nation. So it's understandable that these guys are on Kansas's short list. But here's why I wouldn't take the job if I'm either one of those guys. Because you're looking at 
what Dan Lanning has to work with in Athens, what Mike Ilko has to work with in College Station. You know what this reminds me of? It wasn't that long ago, last offseason, I know a lot's happened since then, but Steve Sarkeesian, Alabama offensive coordinator. Remember when uh, Mel Tucker up in the middle of the night left Colorado hanging after one year on the job? After Mel Tucker left, Colorado was circling Steve Sarkeesian. He could have had the job. Steve Sarkeesian's got a lot of roots to that side of the country. Would have made a lot of sense on paper, right? But we all know he stuck around Alabama and led them to yet another national championship and, of course, parlayed that into the Texas job. And all due respect to Colorado, I mean, Texas is a hell of a lot better job than Colorado. And that would be my advice here to Georgia's Dan Lanning, Texas A&M's Mike Elko, because those teams are going to be competing for the SEC. This is going to be the best defense Mike Elko's had in College Station. And everybody that listens to this show knows that I think Georgia is going to win the SEC. So, you know, you come off of big seasons like that. If they're very, if they're that eager to make the jump to be a head coach, both these guys, I think, are going to be able to parlay their positions into a, a better job at a more ideal time. You know, they'll be able to get some recruits in there that uh, they're familiar with. If they take over now at Kansas, they're not going to know any of the players, at least not actively because Kansas is not recruiting the same level as Georgia and Texas A&M. So, you know, they're not competing for recruits. But that's just something to think about. If one of these guys makes the jump, I don't know that that really says anything about uh, their confidence level in, in what Georgia or A&M is going to do there. But it is it would be interesting because I think they're both looking at better jobs here in the coming weeks and months after the upcoming season. The last thing on that, of course, Kirby Smart's done himself a favor there by bringing in Will Muschamp because if Dan Lanning – Hops to Kansas, and maybe that's part of it. Maybe he, maybe old Will Muschamp there, he's feeling some heat with uh, Muschamp now in Athens. Not, I don't think that's the case at all, but who knows? Kirby Smart's going to have him one hell of a replacement, already on staff, already working with the team. I'm sure that uh, Will Muschamp would answer the call if Georgia had an open defensive coordinator spot there heading into a season where Georgia – is among the favorites to not only win the SEC, but win the national championship. All right, next team, let's uh, hop it on down to Fayetteville real quick, where, hey, it's been a big week there on the transfer portal for the Razorbacks. Of course, Mike Woods left the program. He has officially announced he's headed to Oklahoma, as was expected the moment Mike Woods went into the damn thing. Hell, it was even before. I mean, it's kind of fishy how that all worked out. I don't have any knowledge that, uh, you know, there was tampering going on, but I've certainly have heard quite a bit of it. And I can't remember many times where a guy is rumored to go somewhere, enters the transfer portal, then a couple days later announces he's, he's going there. So, I mean, just paint that picture and you can kind of, you know what's going on there. But it's not all bad for the Razorbacks because Arkansas, they beefed up their defensive line this week landed former Missouri defensive lineman Markel Utsi, who's from Little Rock, and signed to play for Barry Odom at Missouri. Now one of those guys that left the state to go play for the Tigers is back in Fayetteville in the natural state playing for his home state team. Markel Utsi was, uh, I don't think he played a ton last year, but he played a lot in Barry Odom's final year up there. So you got to believe that Barry Odom's got a very high opinion of this guy, and he's going to be a factor immediately down there in Fayetteville, if I had to guess. And he wasn't the only one either, because former 
Illinois State defensive lineman John Ridgway also announced he's headed to Arkansas. He's eligible immediately. And before you you know roll your eyes, Illinois State, who the hell cares? Well, this guy was one of the hotter names in the transfer portal because as soon as he went in, teams like Tennessee, Texas, Penn State, Southern Cal, Michigan, they all offered him. So, hey, I got no information on Illinois State. Never even knew they had a football program. But when offers like that come piling in for John Ridgway, you know he's got some talent. He'll be eligible immediately for the upcoming season. Arkansas needed some defensive linemen to come in here and ready to play next season because that's you know a deficiency of this team last year was just towards the tail end of the season just getting beat up on the line of scrimmage and here we got two transfers one with SEC experience one with a ton of offers coming from a lower level he'll be eager to prove himself in a Razorback uniform so big news for Arkansas with the uh, additions of Utsi and Ridgeway. And then last thing before we get to uh, our interview here with Adam McClintock, interesting news out of College Station because uh, one of their early enrollees just got to campus in January. Four-star receiver Sadrick Banks left the team already. He's uh, in the transfer portal. He has not announced where he's going as of yet, but he was the number 18 receiver prospect in the nation. So would assume reading between the lines here, it's a case of homesickness here. Pretty rare for an early enrollee to go through camp, and then peace out. But that's what we got here. Banks did not play in the in the spring game that I'm aware of. And, you know, interesting situation. The Aggies need some receivers to step up. But hey, if you're not bought in, you're not bought in. So that's uh, just a situation to monitor here because if the Aggies start struggling in the passing game, it's going to be disappointing. Banks not on the roster. He was the second highest rated early enrollee in Texas A&M's last signing class so a little bit of a hit here but uh more than anything just want to make that note that an early enrollee has already left campus and and again he's not transferred so he could potentially come back but uh we'll see if that happens all right enough spieling from me here let's kick it over to our interview with adam mcclintock better known as cfb professor well we're pleased now to be joined by friend of the show adam mcclintock and he's better known as the CFB Professor. You can give him a follow. He's a must-follow on Twitter, at CFB underscore Professor. And I highly recommend all the listeners go to his Patreon page, patreon.com, same as the Twitter, slash CFB underscore Professor. Adam, thanks for joining me. I really, really appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Well, we were just joking uh, right before we started recording. I mean, this is the time of year where, you know, everyone's throwing out their projections and uh, looking ahead to the coming season now with spring football behind us. So, you know, for the listeners that maybe aren't familiar with uh, your background and and everything you're doing on your Patreon page, could you could you give just a little information on uh, your analytics and and I, I really like the fact that uh, you know these are not your opinions. This is all based on your model. So. Could you explain that for us? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, when I started this, I started this about 15 years ago. And um, what I wanted to do is I wanted to come up with a way that you could predict not only college football seasons, but college football games from a spread standpoint, from a, from a record standpoint, um, just completely unbiasedly with numbers. 
um, and over you know the process of 15 years, I've I've, I've been able to do that, uh, refine refine my process and do that pretty well. I'm up to usually it's about 75 to 76 percent um, correct. Um, it, it uses five basic principles. It uses um, uh, returning talent, uh, returning uh, returning starters, a little bit of returning experience. Returning experience isn't as big a deal as some people make it, but it, it does you know, factor in a little bit. I use coach efficiency numbers, which I, I, I go play-by-play. Play. I have a database that goes back to 2008, uh, cataloging every single play, every single coach is called. Um, that's how I come up with my coach ratings. Um, also a little bit of home field and, 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 and that's, that's really about it. It's, it's not, not overcomplicated at all. Yeah. And that, uh, over 70% hit rate, you're not even talking about week to week. You're making these predictions. You've already made them. So based on the model, which you can find at uh, Patreon page underscore CFB underscore professor, where I've got the 2021 college football analytics spring preview. So that's kind of what I'm referencing and I recommend all y'all go out there and subscribe to Adam's Patreon account so you can get you know, a full in-depth, not only on the SEC, but the entire college football landscape. And one team I really wanted to ask you about, you know, that they're very popular in the analytics community, and that's Mississippi State. And you've got them listed as one of your mo- most volatile team projections. Can you explain why Mississippi State is, uh, is volatile in, uh, based on your analytics? Yeah, I mean it's 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 year two of of Mike Leach. It's really year one and a half because can we really count last year as a full year? I know there there wasn't full spring, there wasn't full you know, so um, it's so it's a little bit of of returning of production numbers aren't quite what they might be with a full season. So that's what the model is seeing there. Also. Um, while you know the model loves Mike Leach, it's, it has him, I, I believe, as the fourth best coach in the entire conference, and that says quite a bit coming from the mm-hmm. SEC. Um, it, it, it just kind—it of, doesn't really know what to think of Zach Arnett yet. He had a decent year last year, um, his first year in the SEC, but but it's it's only one year of him, and and the model isn't really quite sure what to make of him yet. The record ceiling I have for uh, Mississippi State is nine and three. So, you know, I have them going three and three in toss-up games. So that if the ball bounces right, they could have a, a much better year than on what I'm showing at right now. But right now, it's, it's kind of at six and six, and um, which I think I think people in Starkville, especially with with the type of system change that Mike Beach had to do coming in in, in year one, year one and a half here, um, I think that would be something that they could get excited about. Yeah, and in your spring preview, so you kind of reference it there. You know, you give uh, rankings, a, a number ranking for a lot of the coaches, and you give a, a letter grade for all the coaches as well. And I'm glad you hit on Zach Arnett there because that's one of the biggest ones that jumps out to me. You got him as a D plus, but is that more of a factor of, uh, I believe your model states, you really need at least three years before you can give a guy a grade. Is that kind of why you've got Zach Arnett based on your model at uh, such a low low grade there? Yeah, that's just a lack of data. It, it, I don't consider the grades to be solid until after three years of data is, is logged, so going into their fourth year. So anything, um, what, any coach that is, is less experienced than three years in, in any system anywhere calling plays, the grade is somewhat fluid. 
So you can kind of take that with a grain of salt right now. Here in two years, we'll know more about who Zach Arnett is from an analytical, stand, an analytical standpoint anyway. Well, speaking of grades, I really wanted to ask you about Kirby Smart because a lot of people, you know, I think most of the Bulldog fans are, you know, they believe in the guy. They think he's going to deliver them a national championship. But I think a lot of the rest of the SEC, they doubt whether he can get it done. But according to your model, he's an A-minus coach, same as Jimbo Fisher. So what's your confidence level in the A-minus grade you've got for Kirby Smart, which is which is one of the better ones in the SEC? Yeah, Kirby Smart, you know, he, he does what he's supposed to do with the talent he has. If you notice, he's not getting upset very many times by teams he's, he's not supposed to get upset by when, when, when the games matter. Um, he's, he's losing to Alabama. He's losing to, you know, uh, teams in the playoffs. If he, you know, he's, he's, not, he's not losing. He's not going out and losing to Vanderbilt on some off night or, or, or something like that. So Kirby Smart, his deal and, and what my model shows about his team so far is he somewhat shackles his offensive play callers. If you look at the uh, coordinator, the the defensive play caller and offensive play caller rankings I have for the the SEC, Kirby Smart is rated as the best defensive play caller in the SEC, okay, because he is is calling the plays in in Georgia. Don't don't be fooled. Um, The offensive play caller, Todd Monken, comes in at ninth, and some of that – isn't necessarily on Todd Monken. I'm not really for sure how much he was able to open the offense up last year at the beginning of the year anyway. And some of that has to do with, with Kirby Smart being a defensive conservative mind, um, you know, wanting to play defense, uh, not make mistakes on offense. And some of that might have been who they had at quarterback at the beginning of the year too last year. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll know more about Todd Monken's offense in, in Georgia this year when they start out with I believe JT Daniels is going to start there this year. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what uh, what his offense looks like, and if, if Kirby Smart allows him to to open things up a little bit. And if and if, if he does, Georgia can have a great season. And if he doesn't, then you're gonna you're gonna get the same old 11 win season and cl- get close, but just not quite get over the hump. Yeah, I'm glad you referenced uh, Todd Monk and the offensive coordinator there because you know everything you just laid out. He's another one you probably don't have a ton of data on and. They made this quarterback switch late in the season. Is there anything in your model that suggests that, uh, you know, if everything goes according to plan, is there anything that suggests that Todd Munkin's not good enough to help Georgia win the national championship that uh, has been elusive to that fan base for so long? Well, since I've been doing this, um, and especially in the playoff era, let's, let's highlight the playoff era because that's, that's, that's where we're at still. The, uh, uh, the team has not won a national title with a coordinator um, with a with a with a grade C uh, um, B minus or below. So Todd Monken, right now, it's saying he's not quite good enough to get them over the top to win the national title this year. Now, um, that that's going with 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 coordinators that are that I have enough data on to give it a solid grade. So I have six years of data on Todd Monken. So that grade of, of a C of a, of a C is, is is pretty solid for him. That is kind of who he is. Um, but you know, it's it's I guess there there is a first time for everything. Um, um, uh, Auburn won a national title with with one of the the, the worst coaching staffs <laughs> in the uh, in, in, in the modern championship era. You know, that was because of a guy named Cam Newton. So players can overcome that at some point in time, but. It's, it's 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 a rarity for for somebody like Todd Monken to uh to, to push his team over the top. 
Now, one guy that uh, I hear from this fan base more than any other that I don't give him enough credit, and your model suggests that's probably true, Eli Drinkowitz. A-minus grade, according to your analytics. Why is the model so high on Missouri's head coach? Well, and some of that is, you know, he's this is his, I think he's in his third year currently as being a head coach. So some of that is lack of data. And some of that data is coming from Appalachian State where he, you know, wasn't um, facing the same competition he is now in the SEC. He wasn't experiencing some of the same um, roster talent discrepancies between his roster and and the roster of that of the teams in his conference. So some of that has some leveling back out to do. I, I do think he is a good coach. He is doing things, you know, he is, he is winning um, um, winning five, six games a year with, with a, with, with, with a roster that has uh, one, one of the least amounts of roster talent in, in the whole SEC. I think, I, actually, I think they are second to last in the SEC in roster talent. So he's doing more with his roster than he probably should. Uh, I have Missouri projected right now to go eight and four this year. And if he's able to do that with that roster and in that division in this conference, then that's, that's worthy of an A-minus grade. Now, let me ask you about Tennessee's hire there, Josh Heupel, which I think a lot of Tennessee fans would be surprised to find out that, uh, according to your analytics, similar grade. Now, I assume a lot of the same applies to Josh Heupel previously at uh, UCF. Now he's at a much tougher division, but you got him as an A-minus. So uh, based on that letter grade, I would assume that you think Tennessee made a, a good hire here with Josh Heupel. Yeah, especially considering the circumstances which Tennessee's working with. You know, are there sanctions coming? Are there not? You know, they had a bunch of players bail. Um, Josh Heupel is is a solid coach. He's he's going to come in and he's he's going to do things right. He's not going to get you in any, in any more trouble. Um, the thing about Josh Heupel is, in what I've seen with him, and I think Missouri fans would would maybe agree with this is. He likes to run up tempo to the point where it's almost a detriment to his own defense. So he has to find a defensive coordinator, this new defensive coordinator, this new defensive coordinator that they've hired. Um, he is going to have to be able to handle facing, you know, 80, defending 80 plays a game in the SEC. That's that's tough to do. And if you remember back to when he was in Missouri, the offenses at Missouri were were good, um, but it came at the, the, the detriment of his defense at times you know Barry Odom kind of suffered the consequences for that so it you know you're, you're gonna have to outscore a lot of teams especially in in the first year or so until until that uh, defensive coordinator that he's hired Tim Banks is able to uh to to, to come along and and, and maybe um, get his feet wet in the SEC and learn how to to be a defensive coordinator defending that many plays week in and week out now, let me ask you about, uh, I consider this guy a wild card just because I didn't follow much of his career at uh, Boise State, but uh, Auburn's first-year head coach, Brian Harson, you got him as a B grade, and, you know, that's not a bad grade by any means, but uh, I, I thought it might be a little bit higher, but maybe that's a factor of being at Boise. He was probably had a lot better talent than a lot of the competition he was going up against. So what are your thoughts on uh, Auburn's new head coach, Brian Harson? I like I like the hire that Auburn made, and, and you're absolutely right. The reason his grade isn't, isn't, isn't sky high as some of the other ones are is, is because he had a massive talent advantage at Boise State over the rest of Mountain West. Massive. I mean, it's it was um, 
you think about Ohio State over the Big Ten or, or Clemson over over the ACC, um, it was even more of, of a big gap than that. Um, so he he is he was used to at Boise State having the upper hand on, in roster talent week in and week out. Um, where I think uh, Auburn fans need to be really excited is who they picked up a defensive coordinator. I love the Derek Mason hire. Um, he he he's a great defensive coordinator. He was at Stanford the first couple of years at Vanderbilt when he called defenses there were, were good for the talent discrepancy that he was facing. Um, and also, they, 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 were, they were able to pull Mike Bobo, who is also a, a proven offensive coordinator in the SEC. So I'm, I'm actually pretty excited about that staff to see what they, what they can get done there um, and, 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 you know, on the planes. Now, I know this uh, – you just made me think of something. I wasn't prepared to ask you this, but – because I don't really know there's any way you could uh, calculate this, but do you give any kind of, uh, you know, favoritism to someone that maybe has experience within the league? Like you just referenced Derek Mason, Mike Bobo, SEC veteran coaches, now helping a, uh, a first-year uh, head coach in the SEC. Is uh, is that something that you ever think about, or is that maybe just doesn't equate in your uh, your model here? Um, in a roundabout way, it does because you're, those um, those coaches are used to facing the amount of, of roster talent in the SEC, so that is kind of baked into into their grade and in, in, into their rating, um, depending on where they're at. Let's say we went from Alabama to, to 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 Vanderbilt, it might not it might not work in their favor. But but uh, for example, Derek Mason was at Vanderbilt, where the roster talent is, is routinely in, in the bottom one or bottom two. And he, at least at first, his his defenses were, were pretty competitive at Vanderbilt when he was calling the defenses. So um, that is, is something that will, that will bump that grade up quickly. Mike Bobo, the same thing at South Carolina. South Carolina has a little bit less roster talent than Auburn does compared to the rest of the SEC. And Mike Bobo was able to to uh, to do some 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 good things there. Also, when he was at Georgia before, so. Um, he he has experience with the amount of roster talent he's going to be he's going to have at his disposal, as well as as uh, as those he'll, he'll, be, he'll be facing week in and week out. So that does kind of in a roundabout way bake in, into the uh, the coach's uh, grade and ratings. Now, when I had you on last year, I think the biggest complaint I got was from Kentucky fans: this this grade you've given Mark Stoops, uh, he's a C. I mean, it's not terrible or anything, but. Why does your model hate Mike or Mark Stoops, sir? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you think about Kentucky, and you know they're yeah. I mean they're they're, they're doing things that, that Kentucky fans are are, are 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 proud of, but they have the 29th rated roster talent, right? Um, and they're still going six and six, seven and five, eight and four, you know, in that range. He he usually has as much talent, maybe not more talent than than, than the teams he's facing, and he's and he's winning about half half his games and worth half his games. So to me, that that sounds about like an average coach, and that's what the that's what the model also sees as well as just an average coach at at a C level. And if he was in any other conference, if he was in the ACC, if he was in even the Big Twelve, maybe um, he like, his his rating within the conference might be higher, but. But the SEC is an incredibly well-coached conference, and average is going to end up probably at the bottom of that heat more often than not. Now, I wanted to ask you about uh, Ole Miss defensive coordinator DJ Durkin. I was surprised. You know, he's got a pretty solid grade here, B-minus. Uh, he's a 
former head coach here at Maryland, and I believe he was a defensive coordinator at Florida. And we all know Ole Miss defense was a disaster last year, but defense was just down across the SEC, and Ole Miss doesn't have a ton of talent to work with, or at least they didn't inherit a lot. So uh, your model must seem pretty high on uh, DJ Durkin there. You think the he'll be able to improve that defense this year? Well, that's 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 the uh, another thing about um, what goes into my model is it also looks at what we, what we call pace pairing, okay? And pace pairing is um, certain defensive coordinators are better when they're facing a certain amount of plays per, per game. And that pace is usually dictated by their own offensive coordinator. So if their own offensive coordinator wants to pick things up and, and, and run pace, it usually affects their defensive coordinator in a way that, that they're going to have to spend more plays just be just, you know, uh, from all the three and outs and all the quick scoring that, the other, that their own offense is doing. DJ, DJ Durkin is best when he's defending a, um, uh, a small amount of plays. Like we're, we're, we're talking uh, in the 65, 68 play per game range. That's not what Lane Giffen likes to do. He likes to push it a little bit, and, he, and so it, it, it raises the, name, the, the number of plays that DJ Durkin is having to defend. This is something I talked about last year when he made it higher. I said I liked DJ Durkin as a you know standalone defensive coordinator, maybe for Wisconsin or maybe for for somebody who like that who's going to play ball control. But I don't. I didn't like him paired with Lane Kiffin because of the pace pairing wasn't right at all, and I, I thought that his defenses would fall apart. And that kind of showed itself to be true last year. And, and unless Lane Kiffin slows his offense down a little bit and, and gets down into that sweet spot for where DJ Durkin is is, is best efficiently calling his defenses, then they're going to struggle on defense again this year. So um, while it has him rated high, keep in mind that that's that's when he's in a sweet spot, you know, defending only 65 to 68 plays per game. Now, one coaching staff you don't have a lot of data on. Again, you need multiple seasons to, you know, have an accurate number here. But uh, Shane Beamer, first-year coach, uh, the offensive coordinator, Marcus Satterfield, not a ton on him. But you do have a grade – on Clayton White, the defensive coordinator, a B minus, uh, formerly of uh, Western Kentucky. So, uh, your model must think that he's a pretty good coach. What What do you think South Carolina's getting in uh, defensive coordinator Clayton White? Well, I, I like Clayton White. He was one of the better uh, G five defensive coordinators the past few years at Western Kentucky. Um, you know, uh, it, it remains to be seen whether he's ready to, to make that jump up to to, to SEC level of competition. But, but um, I do. If they were going to go out and hire somebody. Um, from the G5 ranks, Clayton White was wasn't a, a, a bad hire for them at all. Um, I'm not so certain. I, I know they were kind of put in a situation where they thought Mike Bobo was going to stay for a little while, and they had to turn around and make a quick hire um, after he left for Auburn. So I'm not real th- I'm not real um, um, high on Marcus Satterfield and what their offense is going to be able to do, maybe. But um, I think Clayton White was a, a solid hire. You know, B minus. You know, it, it's it's that's just above average. So, so I, I think uh, it, was, it was a solid enough hire at South Carolina. Let's just see what their offense can get done on the other side of the ball. Now, I wanted to ask you about uh, the the Alabama coordinators. How do they match Pete Golding? You got, you got a pretty solid B on him, and then of course uh, Bill O'Brien, the former NFL coach. What are your thoughts on on that hire? See, Bill O'Brien is kind of a um, it's kind of an, an, an enigma there because he was at Penn State when Penn State was on all that probation, right? Mm-hmm. He called the plays at Penn State, um, and the data on him shows – I have two years of data on him as, as a play caller. 
and he, he got around a D grade, but but he didn't really have a lot to work with at the time at Penn State. Then he went off to the NFL, and he, you know, which is a different game. It's, it's becoming more and more similar to, to the way the colleges ran, especially somewhere like Alabama. But but uh, um, really, as long as Nick Saban is, a, is, a, is head of that ship, um, it hasn't really mattered who's calling plays on offense. <laughs> They're going to play good defense. They're going to play good special teams. And and uh, the last couple of years, they've been able to outscore you as well with, with, with some of the talent they've had. Um, I don't expect to see anything much different with Bill O'Brien in place. He, I don't think he, he's going to be quite as explosive as Steve Sarkeesian or, or Lane Kiffin was or, you know, some, some of these past few ones have been. But I think he'll be plenty explosive enough to be able to, to, to get Alabama where, where they're wanting to go. Now, what about the staff that uh, Sam Pittman's put together here with uh, Barry Odom and Kendall Bryles? You know, I was hyping that up as, as one of the best coordinator duos in the SEC last year, and I think they lived up to the hype. Uh, what did you think about uh, uh, their first season together there at Arkansas? Oh, uh, we're, we're tracking right along on, on, on that. That's, that was one of the, the, the staffs I was the most excited about last year when, when, when they made that hire. I actually gave that whole hiring process of a B plus, which I don't give out very many of those, um, Kendall Bryles and Barry Odom, they, they, they fit well in, 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 in their, their, their pace, um, pace pairing. Um, Kendall Bryles is a very successful offensive coordinator. He's been a lot of places. Um, he's, he's been proven, you know, to, to be able to win with talent, without talent, against talent, you know, against no talent. It hasn't mattered. He, he's been effective. Um, Barry Odom, much much of the same way. He had that stint in Missouri where his defenses were kind of uh, being worn out by Josh Heupel's play calling. But but uh, taking that away, he's he's still a very very solid defensive coordinator. So, and you saw Arkansas was much more competitive last year in in, in a lot of games. So um, I'm I'm excited to see where the staff takes them. Um, I think uh, you know I live close to Fayetteville, so. It's, it's always more fun for me in college football when, when, when the Hogs are, are competitive. All right, last thing for you, Adam. I just wanted to ask you about uh, the teams you've got listed as playoff contenders from the SEC, and this is based on talent, of course, and uh, the, the strength of schedule, and, and I assume coaching as well. Of course, you got Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M, Auburn, which I thought was a surprise, and Florida, but not LSU. So give, give us a quick thoughts on those teams and, and why LSU didn't make the cut for you. Yeah, I mean, um, the first you know, the first five teams you mentioned, they're Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M, Auburn, and Florida. They all have the talent profile that you need to get in. And along with that, they also have their coaching staffs, their, their, their collective efficiency between the head coach, the offensive coordinator, and the defensive coordinator. Um, they, they they fit in a way that that puts them in a position historically to to, to fit a pro, the, the profile of, of a playoff team. Um, all of those teams re- return in enough pieces in order to make a run um, theoretically with with what has happened in, in the past. Um, LSU, you know, Ed Orgeron he he rolled the the coordinator dice and, and came up sevens with. With uh, you know Joe Brady and, and having Dave Aranda there at the same time, um, he's kind of played that roulette again. I don't think he, he, it'd be awful lucky if, if he hit sevens again on, on his new coordinators. Um, neither one of them has has, has called a play um, in the past 15 years at the college level. Uh, it's an awful tough place to cut your teeth 
in the SEC, um, especially with the type of talent that he's losing at LSU off of the last, you know, last year's team and the year before. So um, LSU, they're, they, they might be taking a step or two back, um, and, and, and the model kind of kind of reflects that as well. All right, Adam, I can't thank you enough for coming on here and dropping all this information. And uh, like I said, I encourage everybody to head on over to Adam McClintock's Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash CFB underscore professor. His uh, 2021 preview season uh, preview is up to 174 pages. You can get that information and a ton more over at his Patreon page. Thanks again, Adam. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Mike, for having me on. Let's, let's, and rate, rate, rate for a normal football season. All right, guys. So I hope you guys appreciated that information from Adam. I thought there was some outstanding stuff. And like I said, you've got to check out his Patreon. Does a deep dive on every team in the country. Gets your information on your SEC teams and who they're playing this upcoming season. So a wealth of knowledge. And it only costs like two bucks a month. I mean, hell, that's less than a cup of coffee. So head on over to his Patreon page. You can find that information in the show notes if you're interested. Really appreciate him hopping on the line and some interesting comments here. I just remember Kentucky fans getting fired up last season at that grade. I think Tennessee fans are really going to appreciate the fact that he thinks so highly of Josh Heupel. Missouri fans are going to be filling up my mentions, calling me an idiot. Got Missouri pretty low in my power rankings currently, but probably doing them a disservice as well but once again just want to thank adam for hopping on the line all right guys so hey that's gonna do it for this episode of the podcast and uh don't forget we got the call in line and this is the perfect time the off season give us a call you got a question for the show or anything really story idea topic idea whatever you got 615-800-5683 Give us a ring there. Be featured on the podcast. And as always, if you made it this far, give us that five-star written review on the Apple Podcast app, and we'll trade you a beer koozie of your choice just for doing that. Just send those on over to thatsecpodcast at gmail.com. And hell, if, uh, if you guys like YouTube, we're on YouTube as well, trying to get more subscribers on the YouTube page. So just look us up, That SEC Podcast on YouTube. That's going to be a big platform for us this fall. We're going to have a ton of video content and stuff like that. So uh, hit us up on YouTube. We appreciate each and every one of those. But that's going to do it. Thanks for stopping in. Catch you on the next one.